yesterday, we got to do something that some of you have done recently and got to be a part of this amazing thing called Tax-Free Weekend. Man, isn't that a blessing to your heart? Well, maybe the tax-free is, but the crowds are not. We went to what is typically one of my favorite areas. and I, You know, we all have little quirks about us. Some have a few more quirks than others. But one of the things that I like is I like school supplies. Somebody thinks that's funny. I like, I like, you know what, I, I mean like pens that have not been used yet. Or a, a notebook that is fresh and clean. Not, not like, you know... You know, months after you've been using it, you've doodled all over and it looks nasty. I'm talking about fresh. It's just fresh with possibility, right? Don't you all like... Sure, okay, good. Because tomorrow in Sumner County Schools is what? First day of school. Davidson County started last week, so you've already experienced that. Greenbrier, Roberts, y'all get a little bit later, right? When do y'all start? Tuesday, there you go, look at that. Woo, y'all get an extra day, everybody... Y'all live it up tomorrow, right? Here's what I like about it, okay? I like this time of year because there is possibility. It's new. It's fresh. Teachers have lists of students that they don't know much about yet. And that's when the students are the best to them, right? Amen, teachers? Can I get that? Because after a few weeks, suddenly that name on that list doesn't mean the same thing it does to you right now. Students have teachers and they haven't, some of them haven't seen assignments yet. And so it's this possibilities and all. And they remember the end of school, you know, like when the last two months after a test, you just party and have a good time, right? And so it's like, this is going to be great. And we haven't gotten into the monotony of school yet. Right? Parents, there is a monotony to school, right? Are you here? Yeah. I mean, are you, are you there already? I mean, it's, we haven't even started yet, right? So there's this monotony. you got to get in the rhythm. And you know what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is? And before long, it's just in the grind. It's in the grind. Right now, some of you are mourning the end of summer, but there is this freshness, this newness, this possibility that are kind of coming forth. We love new and fresh. If you doubt that, just go to the grocery store and almost every product will have the words new or improved or fresh. It may just be new look, same great taste. Or new taste, which meant you must have not really liked our previous one. But nothing says really, I mean there are a few things, but most things don't say just the same old thing you've always had. Because we like new fresh, exciting. I was reading some things the other day about how they know whether a movie is going to be uh, make money or not. And used to in Hollywood, they would take weeks to figure out whether a movie was going to be profitable. It, they would put it out, they would leave it in the theaters for three, four, five weeks. Sometimes it would grow, sometimes it would fall, but they wouldn't know for three or four weeks. They now know at midnight of the day it opens whether it's going to be successful. And so they pull it if it's not because they want something new. Over the last few weeks, we've been kind of talking to this concept of old-time religion. 
looking back at the Old Testament to see what worship looked like there and what that means for us now. And what God understood, and we've talked in the weeks about the biggest obstacle to worship being us and the idols of our heart and all that. But what God realizes, even in the Old Testament, as He writes this through His prophets and as He uses people to describe the stories that are there, He realizes that one of the biggest enemies we have to a life that is passionately devoted to Jesus Christ is the monotony of every day. The routine. And so in the Old Testament, he gives all these rules and regulations and things they're supposed to do. And suddenly the people start to do them. But over time, it becomes normal and used to. And it's the same old, same old. And people look for something new and different. And they go in ways that are different from what God intended. And then God has to do something to bring them back and say, come back, let's remember. And then it's new and fresh again. And so they do that for a little while. And then it becomes monotonous. And oh, and they get in the routine. And in the routine, they look for something else. And they go outside of God's plan. God has to bring them back again one of the things that i think is dangerous for us is that we live in a culture society and churches where sometimes it's okay to kind of live in that monotony for so long that we no longer recognize we are in the monotony and so routine begets routine brings routine And before long, we are just in that cycle of doing the same thing in the same way for the same reasons with the same people. And we find ourselves in a spiritual desert. A spiritual dryness. As we finish up this series of messages on old-time religion, looking at the Old Testament, I want to talk about the theme that we see towards the end of the Old Testament. We're actually not going to be at the end if you're turning the pages, but at the end time-wise almost. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we have one of those moments when the people of God had been distant from God so long, they didn't even know how to get back to Him. Now, just to give you a quick history lesson from where kind of we've gone in the Old Testament, God creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin. God says, "Okay, we're going to do something about that, but it's going to take a while." He calls Abram a little later. He makes a people for himself. They go to Egypt. They get in bondage. They come out of bondage because God delivers them. Moses leads them. Then Joshua leads them in the Promised Land. They get into the Promised Land, and they have this series of people that are good for them, good leaders. Some that are bad leaders. Some take them towards God. Some away from God. They finally say, "God, we need a king. We need somebody that we know will be our king and a lot." So God gives them a king. The first king is bad. Second king is good. Third king is good and bad. Fourth king is bad, fifth king is bad, sixth king is good. They go through this pattern. And as they go through the pattern, the people go through this pattern of loving God, doing what He says, and then beginning to walk away, God realizing it, He sends judgment, the judgment comes, they cry out to God, they listen to Him, they do what God asks, they have revival, they go through that, it gets monotonous, they start to look other ways, God sends a judgment, they cry out to God, God delivers them, and you start to see this cycle just go over and over again. And over again. And so the reality is, if we're going to talk about revival today or renewal today or, or seeing God in a new and a different way, having Him just bring life to us. And I could go to a number of stories in Scripture, but I want to focus on this story in Nehemiah for a couple of reasons. 
First of all, because it comes right after they've done something important for the Lord and they still don't have what they think they need from Him. Some of you are here. You've been walking through life and you're going to church, you're, you're trying to raise your kids right, or you're going to school and you're trying to be a good person and you're listening to church and you're going to activities and you're reading your Bible occasionally and you're praying some, but it just seems like there's got to be something more. Life is just life. And you hear all these stories about people and you're like, great, that's great. And you get on Facebook and people are praising God and great things are happening. Or you're, you're listening to your friends talk. Or you talk to someone on the phone. and All this stuff. And you're like, man, that sounds good. That sounds good. But nothing like that is happening in my life. Nothing like that's happening with a group of people I'm around. I just wish there was something more. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we have this really kind of interesting thing. You see, God knew that they would go through these ebbs and flows. God knew that we would go through these ebbs and flows. And so he gives them a little bit of a pattern. It's not a, it's not a, a it's not a recipe, step one, step two, step three, step four, and here's what you get. But it is a pattern of what kind of happens. In Nehemiah chapter 8, it's this interesting thing because Nehemiah is this leader who has helped rebuild a wall. How many of you have ever built a wall? God love you. Justin Baga has built a wall. Amen to that, right? Justin's built most things in life, all right? So they build this wall. Now, why was the wall important? Some of you that know the story, tell me, why was the wall important to them? Security, right? Why, is a, uh, why are locks important on your doors? To keep people out, right? To keep the bad stuff out and the good stuff in. Well, they have this city in Jerusalem that anybody could go in and out of, do anything they wanted to, and there was no security. And so Nehemiah gets his vision from the Lord, and he goes back. He wasn't even living there. He was living in privilege in a palace next to a king, doing a great work. And he says, listen, i got to leave it. I'm going to go find my people. He goes, they build this wall, which doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but to them was huge. They get through building the wall. They all go settle in their homes. They think, man, this is great. This is exactly what we're supposed to do. And they get home. And there's still that empty feeling that something's missing. Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came, that's important because usually in the Israelites' calendar that meant a festival, a religious celebration was coming. Israelites had settled in their own town. All the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra, just so you know, that's the same Ezra that the book of Ezra is named after. The scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. Let me ask you real quickly. What is the book of the law of Moses? What is it in your Bible? I know. It's the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right? So the first five books of the Bible. So they said, bring that to us. Okay? We've heard about this book. We've heard there's something in it. Bring that to us. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. Now, while he faced the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon. About six hours. Well, doesn't that sound exciting? Y'all look like it sounds exciting. It would be a test of endurance for most of y'all to make it through about 30 minutes, all right? So for about six hours, he's reading these words. Now, now what, what, what is he reading? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just a little note. That is not the most exciting stuff in the Bible. Have you read Leviticus lately? 
I mean, it's good stuff. It's important stuff. But it's not going to be on network TV. They're not going to make a Leviticus miniseries, all right? Okay, because it's not that, that exciting. So he was reading that for six hours. And all the people, this is where all the preachers shout amen here in a minute, listened attentively to the book of the law. Now, here's, this is kind of interesting because some of what we do in worship, we take from this moment. Verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Then it gives the name of some Levites. If you're looking for baby names, you can go with Messiah and Hilkiah and Shema, all right? Or Hashbadada, all right? That sounds like one of the minions in Despicable Me, all right? Verse 5. Ezra opened the book in full view of the people. He's elevated on a wooden platform. He opens the book. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. It's just reverence. It's just something about it. Verse 6. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted. Remember, he's just reading numbers. He's reading Leviticus. With their hands uplifted, all the people said, well, y'all didn't, but they did, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now here's what we're going to talk about real quickly. What do you do when you get in that place spiritually where it just seems like you're missing where there's something that's just not right, where it just seems like you've been kind of apart. Maybe consciously you walked away from the Lord. Maybe subconsciously you've kind of drifted. Maybe you thought this is an intentional decision. I'm done with it. I'm walking away for a while. And you get away and you think that's not what I wanted. Or it's just unintentional. You end up being with some people that aren't really living for the Lord. They're not really living like God would want them to. And you started to act like them a little bit. And you just kind of drifted away. Or it's just not that. You just got busy. And so you just haven't done as much stuff. So what do you do? Here's what I can tell you. I don't have any prescription, one, two, three, four. But what I do see is in Scripture evidence of people that have come back. And the first thing you see, and it's right here in this passage, is there is a renewal and a refocus on the greatness of God. Most of us live our lives on a daily basis as if God is not as great and mighty and powerful as He really is. Most of us live our lives with a small understanding of the glory of God instead of a massive understanding of how great He is. These people, they've been living in exile. Now, just to give you some background, most of these people have been slaves in a foreign land that the foreign land have finally said, hey, y'all can go back and live. We're still going to be in control, but y'all can go back and live. Y'all can do whatever you need to do there with your religion. Just be careful with it. Take it back and go. And so they had missed a lot of what God had intended for them. And so they get back and he starts to read this book. And the first thing they think is how big and mighty and awesome God is. It's a renewal on the Word of God. Now, if you want something fresh and exciting and new in your spiritual life, you have to begin with a fresh concept of who He is. In Isaiah chapter 6, a, a, a story I, I talk about a lot because it, it was instrumental in my call to ministry. Isaiah walks into the temple. And as he walks into the temple that day, he walks into the temple, I believe, just like he would every Sunday, every time he went. Of course, he didn't go on Sunday, he went on Saturday, but same kind of deal. 
Every time, it's just normal. just going to happen. It's going to be the same thing. Jeff's going to get up there and sing. And Lyle's going to get up there and preach. We're going to sing some songs we know. Maybe we'll sing a new song, but it'll be kind of the same thing. We're gonna, I'm going to look at the bulletin when I get there, make sure everything's right in order. We're going to do that. I'm going to talk to some people after. We'll make a lunch after that. And then we'll go back to our business. Now, Isaiah walks in that day, and he says when he walked in, he was floored, literally. Because high and lifted up was the Lord seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And it says that he is overwhelmed by the presence of God. Just a minute ago, we're singing your name. And I couldn't help but to think of those words about the God that we serve. Your name is hope for the hopeless. Rest for the weary. Your name is holy. Most of us live our daily lives without any concept of the magnitude and the glory of the God we serve. Here's what Colossians says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he is what we could see and know of what is unknowable and unseen. He is before all creation. Because by Him everything was created. In heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And by Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. So that we might come to have first place in everything. Where God was pleased to have every bit of God dwell in every bit of Jesus and through Him to reconcile us all by making peace through the blood of His cross. The people come and they have lost a vision of how great the God is they serve. Listen, when you get an understanding of how big and mighty and powerful and great God is, how awesome He is, it is ridiculous to think that anything in our lives could take His place in importance. And yet we do it all the time. Some of our youth are going back to school tomorrow. Kids are going back to school tomorrow. And immediately relationships that have been lost over the summer will become more important to them than the God Almighty that we serve. Some of you adults are going to work tomorrow and the workload and the progress and the promotion and the stuff will become more important to you than the Almighty God that we serve. Some of you come to church on Sunday morning and the stuff around church is more important to you than the God that we serve. And if you want renewal in your life, if you want something fresh and new, the first thing that has to happen is you have an absolutely stunning picture of who God Almighty is. Who was and is and is to come. Here's a second thing. After that, after this vision of God comes, then there comes in our own lives not only an understanding of how awesome and mighty and holy and powerful He is, but an understanding of how wretched and poor and terrible we are. This is a little farther down in Nehemiah 8 if you're there. It says at the end of verse 9, all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. All the people were weeping 
as they heard the words of the law. Now, we're going to talk about some stuff around that for a minute, but I want you to focus on that. Again, he's reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's not an emotional song being sung. There's not a passionate sermon being preached. There's not some manipulative thing happening where the emotions are being played with. They are simply reading the Bible aloud, and they are so moved by the greatness of God and by the lowliness and weariness and wretchedness of us that they are literally in tears over their sin. I was listening this week to a, uh, an album that I had ten years ago that somebody reminded me of. So I got on Spotify and found it and started listening to it. And there was a, a song on there that I had completely forgotten about. You, you ever had one that, you know, you, you, there's a song that comes on the radio where it's like, man, I have completely forgotten about that song. There's a song that was on this album. The name of the album is She Must and Shall Go Free, and it's an album about the church, actually. But towards the end of the album, there was this hidden track on the original CD. How many of you remember CDs? All right, some of you still have them. That's all right, all right? The original CD, there was this hidden track where you had to let it play, you know? You let it play, and there'd be a little break after a song, and then a new one come on. And it's a song that sounds like when it first starts, it's going to be just this really um, toe-tapping, good-feeling, bluegrass song. Now, I'm not a huge bluegrass fan, but I like this one. And so you, you get there and you, you, hear the, 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 you hear the banjo going, you hear the instruments going, it's starting to really pick up, you're excited, and the words come on, and the words of the song are, Oh Lord, I'm crooked deep down. Every single one of us is crooked deep down. And that's the whole song. It's this real peppy feeling, and then you realize the words are descriptive of how low we are. Just as most of us walk around every day with this lack of understanding on the greatness of God, most of us also walk around every day with a lack of understanding of the depth of our sin. Now, if you want God to do something new in your life, you have to call sin what it is in your life. It is sin, and you have to recognize it, Admit it, have deep biblical sorrow for it, and move on. See, most of us think we're just kind of damaged, but Scripture describes us as broken. One of my favorite uh, gadgets is my iPad. I got the iPad a couple of years ago, use it for all kinds of stuff. Um, Just research, I preach from it sometimes, music's on it, video's on it, use it for all kinds of stuff. And I was using it a lot, carrying it around a lot. I had this case on it, and uh, I didn't notice, but this case started to get loose at the bottom. Okay? So it just kind of will come open. And I was walking around outside with it, carrying it like this, and the case started to come open, and what started to slide out? iPad. And I did not realize it is sliding out until it had slidden out. I don't think that's a word, but we'll go with it, all right? And when it fell, some of you that have gadgets like this will know, it hit like this. And it now looks as if a tree with branches has grown on my iPad, right? So if you look at the screen, and y'all probably can't see it from there, but there is major damage over here. It looks like sunlight and rays is coming down here. It's just messed up. But here's the thing. I can still use it. Now, it's got a little damage on it. If I drop it again, it'll have a lot of damage. In fact, last night, uh, uh, this may not be healthy at all, but a, a whole piece of the screen came out when I opened it up. So I'm just going to use it till there are no more pieces of screen, all right? 
I can still use it. It's damaged, but it's not broken. If it was broken, I couldn't use it. A lot of us imagine our lives as if we're damaged, not broken. Well, we got some cracks around here. Yeah, I got some messed up stuff here. But overall, I'm still in working condition. I'm still okay. And Scripture reminds us when we come into an understanding of who God is, we see that we are not damaged. We are broken. And Scripture says that God will not deny those that come to Him broken. Here's the thing. Taking it back to worship. Once we rediscover how great God is and we discover how terrible we are, it's as if that news is the most freeing news we can have. Look back to what they were doing. So they're reading it. They're crying apparently because it says they're all in tears. But it also says that as they did that, as they stood up and as Ezra blessed the Lord reading from this passage, the great God, it says that they started to shout, Amen, Amen. Alright? First of all, that just means it's okay to say that in worship. Apparently none of you are. Okay. It's okay. Can we all practice that? So on the count of three, let's just all say amen. I just want to make sure it's able to come out of your mouth. Say on count of three. One, two, three. There we go. Now we had some just amens. And then we had Bill Lars over here with a amen. Alright. Here's the thing. Somebody tell me, what does amen mean? So be it. I agree. Good point, preacher. Is that what it means? No. it's not what it means. Amen means let it be. Truly. Absolutely. And so as Ezra's reading the law, what the people are announcing is, let that be us. Let us be what that is announcing us to be. Let us be what God intends us to be. Amen. That's what we want. That's what we need. That's who we are. And sometimes it feels like in the modern church, in the American church, in our church, we preach this glorious vision of what God wants us to be. And instead of saying, let it be, it's just, we're okay. Instead of, that's what we want, it's, mm, that's a lot. But these people are, Lord, that's what we want. I want to be everything God has called me to be. I want our church to be everything God has called me to be. So when I read about a church that is passionate in its pursuit of this holy God who is telling other people about Him and what it means to follow Him, that is recklessly worshiping Him with all that we have, I want to say, Amen, let it be. But do you? Are you okay? The truth is, for a revival to happen in a church, you know churches used to schedule revivals, right? You know you can't, you can't do that, right? I mean, I heard about a preacher that got his first church, he was from the north, which basically means he was from anywhere north of here, right? And all the southerners said, amen. I got a couple of amens there, all right. From a guy that lives north of here, who grew up north of here, all right. No. <laughs> so his first church, he's from up north, and he, he got saved in college at the age of 20, took his first church at 24, and he said it was south of the Mason-Dixon line, and he drove past the first church he came by in town. He was on his way, and he saw a sign that said, Revival, September 24th through 28th. And his first thought was, how do they know? 
He said that the most concerning thing to me was not how do they know when it's going to start, but how do they know when it's going to end? We're done. On the 28th, if we're having a revival, we're done. Because to us, revival sometimes means just a meeting, right? But that's not what God intends. God wants a reworking, a reimagining, a renewal of our lives and our souls. And it's not scheduled. It comes from the Lord. And as we are preparing ourselves for that, we pray, Lord, I want that in our lives. But one of the things that will prevent that is people that say, no, I'm okay. You see, a lot of us are scared to death of what a revival in our lives and in our families and our church would actually mean. Because there are relationships that would have to be changed and career paths that would have to be altered and words that would have to be spoken and forgiveness that would have to be given. And our lives might be radically transformed by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're scared to death by it. And so when we start to hear these great things, you're like, that's, that's good, but I'm, I'm okay. These people say, we're not. I mean, they had the wall. They had their houses. They had their protection. They were much better than they had been in years. And they still say, that's not enough. What does it say they were doing while they were yelling amen? Wasn't a Baptist meeting, right? Because their hands are lifted high. Why do people raise their hands? Why did they raise their hands? Why do you think they're raising their hands? Saying, Amen, Lord, let it be, let it be. Whatever it is that you want to do, we want. As the hands are raised, it is a full sign of surrender. Dependence on the Lord. It doesn't say that they're just standing with their hands raised, does it? It says that they are kneeling with their heads to the ground. You get this picture of very active worship where they are shouting things to the Lord as the sermon's being read. It's not even a a sermon. It's just the scripture being read. And as it's being read, they're shouting and yelling, let it be. They're raising their hands. Lord, we surrender. They're bowing below because we can't even look at you. You ever had a child do something wrong and you caught them doing it and they wouldn't look you in the eye? Anybody ever had that, parents? You ever done something wrong and somebody caught you and you had a hard time looking them in the eye? Yeah. Thank you, Mason. I see that hand. All right. Why don't you want to look them in the eye? Because of the reality of the situation, you feel like, I can't even look at them. These people have their heads bowed to the ground because they can't even imagine looking towards the place where they imagine the Lord to be because they have done so many things. Here's what I want you to see. All right? In the midst of that, I want you to get that picture. Weeping, shouting, hands raised, down on the ground, all kinds. Emotional, physical worship. Look what Nehemiah says to them. Verse 9. Nehemiah the governor, so he's the political leader. Ezra the priest and the scribe, he's the religious leader. And the Levites, those are the worship ministers, who were instructing the people. They were sitting there saying, what that means is this. And so they were helping to communicate to the crowd. They said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Verse 10. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich. Drink what is sweet. This is the part that you're like, Okay, we can follow this, alright? Send portion to those who have nothing prepared. So if somebody forgot to fix something today, Go give them some food since today is holy. Do not grieve. Because your strength comes from rejoicing 
in the Lord. Here's what he says, and this is what's amazing, and this is how we're going to finish today, all right? He says, listen, once you realize how great God is and how terrible you are, the next thing you realize is that is one of the most freeing concepts in life because we have been set free from how bad we are. Because of God's mercy and grace, not because of anything we have done. And he says, listen, in rejoicing in the Lord's greatness and His goodness and His mercy, what you were doing is saying, God, I am so glad, I am so much worse than I thought I was. You get there and you're free. You don't have any worries. Like, Lord, you had to do it all. I am so excited that you have freed me. Paul, over in Romans, when he starts talking about this, he just gets on a roll and he starts to say, it is amazing to me that our God loves us this much. The height, the width, the depth of His love. And we understand the depth of our sin, but the depth of our sin reminds us of the love of God and its height and depth and length and width and how amazing it is. And because of that, we have been set free and we can have life like nobody else experiences. But it only comes from knowing who He is and who we are. And so when you get in that spiritual rut, when you get in that place where it just seems normal, when it just seems common, that you need to begin to ask the Lord to give you a new vision of Him and a better vision of you. And then follow the Lord in that. So here's my question. My guess is most of you are somewhere in that place of kind of spiritual mediocrity. Not all of you, but most of you. So the question is, do you even really care? Or are you just okay being where you are? Because if you don't care, then this sermon doesn't mean anything. And really, you just keep doing what you're doing. But if you do, you need to start to ask the Lord to give you a new vision of who He is. And of who you are. And the freedom that comes from Him. Let's pray.